Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. Today on the show, we have a very special guest. You guessed it. The guest is Sophie, my wife. Uh, it's not it's not a traditional guest episode, but she is here to read me the questions for an Ask Dr. Pizza episode, as well as uh, participate with her own creative thoughts. You know, one of the things that. Uh, you know, first got me interested in Sophie is her creativity. She was already kicking my butt before we finished school. She had, you know, won awards for her textile art. And uh, I, I was just so impressed and inspired by someone who had taken so much action and she was just kicking school's butt and just making the amazing stuff and she was so passionate about it and she still is and she's very involved in creative pep talk and in my illustration career and uh yeah i just thought it could be cool to have her involved in one of these ask dr pizza episodes i'm sure it's not the last you'll hear from her she uh she was nervous getting started but she got into the swing of things and we had a a great time let's get into the questions we talk about uh when do you start hiring people in terms of accountants and agents and whatnot? Uh, how do you support your significant other? We talk about, um, you know, second guessing every decision in your art, you know, as you're making, how to get out of your head. We talk about how personal do you get with your audience and a bunch of other stuff. We get into some collaboration, marketing kind of jazz and all kinds of good tactics. Here it is, another episode of Ask Dr. Pizza, this time with... Dr. Sophie as well. Let's do it. Dr. Pizza. Hi. I'm sitting here with my best friend. Stop. <laughs> and my wife. <laughs> She was afraid of any possible thing that I could have called her. Um, got some peppermint tea and, um, and a big bucket of anxiety. <laughs> uh, so what we're going to do is 
I we're gonna do an Ask Dr. Pete's episode, and I've invited Sophie. Say hello to everybody. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and I just had I asked Sophie if she would read these questions to me, and you know I thought one of the reasons why I wanted to have you do this is. I think out of anyone in the world, if I give you an answer that you think is BS, you're going to call me on it. And there's pretty much nobody else in the world that would probably do that like you. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so yeah. Are you ready? <sighs> you see, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, uh, Sophie is the big like performer in the house. She's very comfortable on air, on stage. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, all right. What? What if? Is there anything you could you could just start? I feel like if I could get you angry, you'd feel. I'm already start. angry. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, hilarious. Okay, so we asked some questions. We got the uh, audience to ask some <laughs> questions, send some stuff in. I took some notes. I think we're ready to go. You want to start with question one? Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm just not cut out for this. Yes, you are. <laughs> I, I don't. You're gonna start your next, your own podcast. This next is week. not my Monday. <laughs> it's Monday morning. Uh, okay. I feel like everyone's gonna make fun of my half Yorkshire accent. <laughs> half, half half Midwest. Half Yorkshire, half Midwest. Yeah. Oh. Everybody promise you're not gonna make fun of her accent. I don't know who I am anymore. Yes, okay. you do. You're mine. You're my. St- the, no. <laughs> Stop it. Okay. So it's all too right. creepy. Sorry. You have to take that out. I can't. This is all. I can. Okay. We can edit it. <laughs> she looked at me like she was going to die. We can edit it if we have to. <laughs> First question. Okay. Um, do we not know who asked these? No, they sent them in uh, the anonymous way, so we're going to just leave everybody's names out. Okay. Okay, so question one is, when do you start bringing in professionals, like for accounting, et cetera, and how do you source them? Okay, so the first question is about when do you start hiring people out? How do you get, you know, maybe not full-time employees, but contractors? And when? And when. Like, yeah. when is the time? And I think that, uh, I think that the truth is, you know, an accountant, an agent, a manager, an assistant, da 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 all that, I think it really comes down to one question, and it's, do they have the ability to make you more money than you're paying them? That's kind of the standard business answer. That's when you're ready to hire somebody. You hire an accountant when they can help you with taxes in such a way that they pay for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same goes for an agent. You're going you're gonna to get an agent when they're going to get you better deals than you could get on your own. And so I think you're not really ready to contract anybody out if you're not in a place where them saving you time or adding their expertise doesn't somehow uh, yeah, save you money or make you more money. And I think that early on there's a temptation for certain types of personalities to jump to, 
uh, hiring out and and delegating too soon before it's and for me I even though delegating administration all that crap I'm really terrible at it we kind of just had to grit you know mm-hmm. grit our teeth and bear it for the first seven years or something and we kind of like maybe clung talk to the microphone a little bit we maybe clung on is clung a word yeah a little longer with some of these things just out of fear of money yeah but we we would we often would wait until we were in some kind of like painful crisis where we couldn't manage anymore yeah and we needed we needed it I think that's also a good sign of like yeah. pushing until you can't, you're, bu- you're so, you're bursting at the seams where it's now it's so obvious. You can't mm-hmm. go any further without an agent helping you with these contracts. We did book contracts as much as we could on yeah. our own until it started to get to the point where some of these clauses and contracts were starting to bite us in the ass and we're like, all yeah. right, we got to figure out, we need a deeper level of a of partnership and that's when we sourced a book agent. Yeah. Um, and I think on the level of things like accountant, that is one that I think pr- almost as soon as you're making enough money to where you have to declare how much you're making, which is like once you're making like over $1,000 a year or something, um, it's almost worth getting an accountant then because if you don't have a lot to uh, declare, they don't have a lot of work to do. So they're not going to bill you like crazy. But the tax code in America especially is so insane they really need an expert from the beginning. <coughs> and then how do you think we've kind of found these people? I have an idea. Um, I think that we often ask somebody who's a few steps ahead what they do. do. Yeah. And we, I know we tend to go by word of mouth for all of these outsourcing things. Yeah. And then... We get to, we seem to get to a point where we then see people do that to us, like asking us, "Who do you use? What do you do?" And it, can you kind of pay it forward? Yep, that's right. So I, I think the people that we've tried to source purely based on our own research, whether it's an agent or an accountant or a, a you know someone with video or whatever, mm-hmm. almost always those don't turn out very well. And pretty much the only long-standing relationships we've had have been people that were recommended by close friends. Yeah. Or, or people, whether maybe they're not always close friends, sometimes they're people that I reach out and I trust them. Yes. Um, and they give us a Maybe connection. geographically close to you so that, you know, usually you need these people to be able to meet you in person. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the benefit to uh, Ryan, my agent and my accountant who lives close, but also the book agent is someone who we didn't really have that option. Yeah. Um, so yeah. we didn't have that. Uh, so we had to kind of source it out. So do you, yeah, I think that mostly answers that one. Mm-hmm. Let's go to number two. You hear what? dogs in the yeah, background? I'm just wondering what is happening. Where's Moki? We have a new dog. We've got two dogs now. Uh, Moki is named after Moki Fraggle. And she's real cute, but she is a puppy, so she might be in trouble right now. What is she doing? Moki. Was she back there? Yeah, listen. I don't know where she is. Okay. Hmm. Could be dangerous. Moki, come here. Come here, doggy. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Hello. Uh, okay. What? Question two. 
what are some tips for supporting your creative girlfriend or boyfriend when times are tough? Yeah. So I picked this one. This is one of the only questions that I didn't take extensive notes on uh, because oh, we you have. me. Yeah. Because <laughs> we have lots of uh, this going on. And I think that it's, you know, I feel like part of the good thing about you being on this episode is that um, I have a hard time explaining to people how I made Creative Pep Talk because it's what I need more than what I have. Uh, I just wanted you, you just tell them what I'm like. I was going to say what I'm really like. <laughs> just in terms of how, how much my mood fluctuates and how easily I'm kind of defeated. Oh, like this morning you mean? Yes. Don't shame me. <laughs> I don't. <clears throat> I don't know. You're very excited about the things that are exciting, and the things that are real life are a massive burden, because working for yourself is hard as it is. Yeah. And it often feels like us both being self-employed is just too much. And that we can't do it all. We can be responsible adults and freelance. Professionals. Yeah. Yeah. There's too many things. And that's part another w reason why we start to feel in under, in over our heads. Yeah. And how we needed help from other people to take on some of these tasks is that we're both artists and all, those, ta all those tasks just add up and they become you know, what tips you over a little bit. And I think that's be, that's the hardest is, as you being the primary worker means I fall into um, trying to pick up the slack on as many other things as I can to take all of the regular pressures off you, which I think all couples do. You know, you try and find that balance of who can do what and how can you balance that out? But um, also, I think just balancing it around your strengths. Like, it wouldn't really help us if I was the one that cooked everything because I <laughs> would talk to you about it 10 times more than if you just cooked it yourself. Yeah. Like, so, if, you know, knowing that you like to do that and you, and you, that's a relie relief for you almost. Yeah. And me knowing what I can do for you that, is a burden on you, you know, what things can I... Like paying bills yeah, is what you do. And yeah, and DIY and, you yeah. know, those things that really stress you out that I can kind of deal with. Um, we don't fall very <laughs> clearly in traditional gender roles in, no. in our house. No. You do the DIY, I do the cooking. Yeah. <laughs> you you put the kids, the kids to bed. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> totally true. But we found that kind of thing. But I, I think... You might have, you might say it's slightly tipped the other way, but I kind of assume that out of the five working days a week, two of the days are a struggle for me, and three I'm pretty high. I'm like pretty, yeah. yeah. You might say three and two, <laughs> but but I that's how I feel. Is that two days a week I'm getting kind of overwhelmed or aggravated or. And whatever. I mean, it's it's hard. It's kind of unlike a lot of other jobs in that it's all on you and it's all self-motivation. And if you don't feel like it that day, 
<laughs> like it's 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 all on you, you know. Yeah. You there's nobody at the office waiting for me. No. Yeah. And uh, that that's hard, and it's also hard when you feel like you take a day off and you're losing money and you're losing time. Um, it's, it's a lot of pressure. It's definitely also hard to be the one supporting that person. Yeah. And obviously, if I wasn't also an artist, then I would probably be trying to gain stability in other ways, you know, try and find a job that is more stable and that has more stable um, benefits. benefits. But I can't do that either because <laughs> I'm a floopy artist well, That's the thing too. is that I feel like that is our blessing <laughs> and our curse is that we both understand and relate to each other and, and support and believe in each other. Uh, because we're both artists. Mm-hmm. So you understand why I have to do this journey and support it and vice versa. Uh, because I, I think, and we're also just kind of so all over the place that any type A kind of businessy person, I know at least I would drive them insane. Um, you less so, yeah, but yeah. yeah. The, the other thing I was going to say was though, when I'm in that, when I come to you and you know I'm in a dark place, uh, how have you learned to get me out of it? Because you're good at it, and I what and the things that I struggle with most often. Because I think every creative I know, they have these re, re, reoccurring problems. Yeah, the same kinds of things get them down. It has something to do with. For me, I think it's an identity thing. Like it has something to do with like if you're going to do enneagram, it's going to be the four wants to be original. So anybody that. Uh, threatens my originality or says that I'm not original or whatever, I instantly spiral into in mm-hmm. really dark place quick. And I think you've, you've, you're really, you've been there the whole 10 years to help shock me out of self-sabotage and, you know, giving up or whatever. Um, so you're different to me because I think of everything like a tactic so if there's something like, if I know something works to like, like one thing I know, to, I know about you is that <laughs> if you're feeling kind of bad and, and grumpy or whatever, I can get you to talk about your garden and you're almost always happy after that. All right, I think about garden, it tactically. And then I'm happy. Yeah. But I feel like you do it more intuitively. <clears throat> but what do you think tends to get me out to the other side? Um, I think usually it is, you need to have some kind of satisfaction that you achieved something. And it's the same tactic I have like for our kids when they have anxiety about something and it's just do the next thing that you can do Yeah. and, and, and just maybe make a list and just cross them off one at a time. Cause I yeah. think often you get overwhelmed by trying to hold on to every single thing you have to do. And then you're like, I can't do it. And yes. you achieve nothing. Whereas I'm, you, I usually am like, well, I pep talk you too. And, you know, tell you all the fluffy stuff. But then fluffy I get... Fluffy stuff like, don't be stupid. <laughs> yes. That, <laughs> is, that is my kind of fluffy <laughs> yes. stuff. It's like, you're being you're an being idiot. An idiot. Yeah. <laughs> like, shut up. Um, like... Yeah. Yeah, that's and your that, you uh, are more tough love. Oh, I, d- I don't I didn't know that. But it is it is most often what I need is you just saying 
you're getting into your stupid pattern yeah. that you're you know is bullshit and you need to And usually I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm like I ain't got time for this. Like, no way. This is complete. We're not going down this, this road. Is, this Suck is, it up. Yeah. Snap out of it. Write a list and do number one in the yeah. next 10 minutes. Yes. <laughs> and because either you need to escape or you need to achieve a yeah. few things off your pile of burdens, you know? The uh, I was just listening to an episode of the Tim Ferriss podcast with David Allen, who's like a productivity czar. He's like one of the most famous productivity people in the business world. And he has this practice when he's coaching big performers. The first thing he de- does is something I had to do. It took me forever to do it. And I did it before I heard this episode, and it, which was write down everything everything that's in he calls it your inbox so he he has a physical inbox and he gets a stack of paper he sits down with an executive he's like every single thing in your brain put it in here and he says your brain is great for having ideas Mm -hmm. but it's not for holding them yeah or organizing or prioritizing like yeah and when you have he's like if you have uh you know get cat food and wash your car and call the dentist and do the and and you know, call that person back, these emails on your head, your brain saying, you have to do that every second, all the time, all of that stuff, because it can't, it doesn't do one thing at a time. It can't, it's now you're just a ball of stress. Mm-hmm. And I do think that has been huge for me. I just wrote it on my window with a dry erase marker. Mm-hmm. I just wrote every single, I put categories like books, podcasts, clients, this, that, and I had like six columns and I just got every single thing out and then I put a to-do list of, these are the ones actually are task-based that I need to do next. And that made me so much more at peace than I've been in years about stuff because you can just look at it instead of, what are you you smiling about? (laughs) I'm thinking about that time a few weeks ago where you were overwhelmed by how much you had to do before you went on vacation. Yes. And we didn't communicate very well. And (laughs) (laughs) I tried to surprise you by almost killing myself mowing the lawn and then realized that you'd paid for a lawn service. (laughs) So what I actually did was mow the lawn, get super sweaty, like waste multiple hours of my day doing something that, that I could have been hate doing, like doing. packing or so, you know and then else. knowing that two days later some guys came and did it for <laughs> <laughs> and we paid them and it didn't even need doing yeah. and we couldn't cancel it yeah and it's stuff like that where it's like sometimes you try and help someone and you just should have told them oh, should have just talked know. about it should have got it out of your head should have yeah. had the list and yeah communicated rather than what what if you don't do that you end up going in 10 directions at once yeah. and not actually being that productive yeah uh, all right next question i don't It says, I am very slow at drawing because I'm second guessing every decision. How do I knock it off? Okay. So I have two answers for this. And it's, this is something I see all the time. So I I talk about how for creative people that their, their super strength and super weakness is their ability to see options. So they, they see a million different options when it comes to painting And that gives them all these options that other people don't see, all these different things you could do and all that kind of stuff. But what ends up happening is 
once you're in the middle of a project or once you're in the middle of a piece of work, those options all become distractions. Mm -hmm. And so for me, one of the things that's helped is there's, there's two, two things that I've seen help when it comes to making the most of the time you have to make art because what it, most people have full-time jobs. They're trying to make things, trying to get things started in their creativity. And they have like basically three to five hours a week extra and that time needs to be spent making things, not thinking about making things, not almost making things and then second guessing those things. Like that's all, tons of wasted time. And so there's two things that have helped me with that. Cause you know, nobody knows better than Sophie that I'm easily distracted. I give up on things. I, you know, don't follow through. And you second guess a lot of things that you have things. done. Yes. I'm a big second guesser. Mm -hmm. um, I've been doing that with this, these books I've wanted to write for business books for several years of starting, stopping, quitting, whatever. Um, but there's two things that have helped me. One is uh, what I call uh, business in the prefrontal, party in the back. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, that's, uh. you know, the mullet. Business yeah, in front, yeah, yeah. part in the back. But this is uh, the, the business part, the strategy part, the planning part, the decision-making part, the part where you're thinking. That's your prefrontal cortex. That's the front of your brain. It's your planning brain. And what I've found to be really helpful is to make a bunch of decisions about what I'm going to make, what project I should be working on over the next season, all before I start making anything, decide all of the constraints, and then by the time I get into making, you want to get in that back part of your brain. It's more subconscious. It's more flow state. You're not making any decisions after that. And then mm -hmm. improv, they say, don't think. So the whole idea is you need to get into this place where you're not, you're not thinking at all by the time you're making. And I think the other side of that, the other answer is what Sister Krita Kent, she's like screen printing nun, has this list of class rules. And one of them is... Uh, find a place to trust and try trusting it for a while. And so once you, so if I start a project like the podcast and I want to get all the thinking done up front before I set out on that marathon of making a podcast and I say, I'm going to do a hundred episodes and then I'm not, I'm not going to think about whether I'm doing this podcast or not. Once I've started that mission, I'm going to do a hundred episodes. And so all of my thinking is done and I found a place to trust and then I'm going to try trusting it for a while even when I second guess it, even when I'm not sure. So like with the podcast, before I started it, I knew this is gonna be a slow growth thing. Like it's probably not gonna just catch on like wildfire. I'm probably gonna get 10 episodes in and be like, what am I even doing with my life? This is, you know, whatever. And I'm gonna start getting into that uh, thinking process all over again. But what I did up front was I said, I'm gonna try trusting podcasting for a while. I'm going to try to get in that and I'm going to just, I'm going to commit to it for a hundred episodes and I'm not going to think, I'm just going to flow. I'm just going to make. And then once I've done that, I planned in there a point to step back and reassess after. And so I feel like if you'll get all of the, that's why I love about strategy and planning and all that kind of stuff is get all that done, not during the creation process, but before it in the planning and then after in the editing. And while you're making, while you're recording, you're not thinking at all, you're just executing. And so you get that, it's just like, uh, and I think there's a meditative side to it. 
It's when you're making that painting that you decided to make or making that song that you decided to make, uh, when that pesky question comes into your head that says, should you be doing this? Instead of fighting it and be like, yes, I have all the answers. Because now you're thinking, you do what they tell you in meditation, which is just notice it. Just be like, oh, I'm questioning whether I should be doing this. That's it. You just, But you just keep keep making. What are you smiling at? I just... <laughs> <laughs> I just daydreamed at least twice while you were talking, and I realized I don't know what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're listening to the podcast right now, you better not be acting like Sophie. Uh, you, the part about meditation, you mean? I, you don't even know. That was daydream number two. There was one before that, too. Oh, my gosh. You do a lot of talking. I, I can't know. listen to all of it. And like, I'm... I can't. You're supposed to be my I'm number sorry. one. You're I'm sorry. You're supposed to be my number one fan. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh... But yeah, it doesn't matter if Sophie got it or not. We're moving on. Next question. <laughs> you asked me to do this. I know. So do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Try- I need to push you to where you start getting sassy. Like your true <laughs> self. <laughs> I should have put a secret question in here that was going to piss you off so that you could get... Get angry. Show some fire so people know the true Sophie. Are you ready for the question? I'm scared now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, trying to figure out how personal I should get with my audience. How did you decide? Yeah. We talk about this a lot because Mm -hmm. there's the privacy aspect and what we want to share and what we don't. And I started thinking through how I've made those decisions the more public we've been with ourselves and our art and more personal I've been and I've started thinking about being aware of this concept uh, that I'm going to call bird seed and sea salt you okay yeah all right she almost pulled her ear off with the headphones uh bird seed versus sea salt so this is this is my idea okay I just basically realized that everything you're sharing all the stuff you're out there spreading it basically has two potentials. So it's either uh, like bird seed, and you're like, I'm going to spread all this out because I want to gather certain people. And that's why you're sharing it. Or you're sharing it to scatter the wrong people, and that's the sea salt. Let's get rid of the slugs. So you got one of the. <laughs> I should record every episode with you. Uh, did you follow that whatsoever? I guess. Do you, you have know to what I'm a- saying? ask me? Yeah. Well, it, you're my, uh, you're the proxy for the audience. Yes. You're spreading, are you spreading salt or seed? Are you killing people with what you're putting out there? <laughs> or slugs? Well, or are you feeding people? Yeah, because yeah, you want to you you attract certain types of people and you want to you want to scatter certain types of people. And just realizing. Are we, so are, are we scattering both? Is it? Or is it an either or? Like, I what think it, I'm going to explain it. Okay. It's gathering <laughs> you, you or I was just, at, I was just making sure you were on track so far. But for me, it's like you want to gather the right people and scatter the wrong people, right? And everything you share I does think it's that. because you're scattering the seed. And scattering and the. And scattering <laughs> the unwanted people that it's like, what are you? The slugs. The, scatter the, the slugs. You can't scatter slugs. <laughs> Get out of here. Scatter. It's not. Now get. It doesn't doesn't work. You can't scatter. No. Yeah, get. 
get on out of here, slugs. Um, but I'm just saying, here, here's what we've thought about. There's a bunch of things that we've chose to be public about because of it gathers our people. Like we want to gather around this thing that we believe in. But there are other things that I think, uh, there are also other things that I'll share actively because I want to prune uh, certain types of people that we don't want in our audience. That I'm like, I'm okay sharing this knowing it's going to put off some people, but it's <laughs> going to be the slugs that I don't want in our audience anyway. Yeah. And then there are certain things that we choose not to share because I think that it could be uh, misinterpreted on a public. It's not, there's, you know, that public forum lacks nuance. Mm -hmm. So you might be gathering the wrong people and scattering the right people. And so I think you don't have to... <laughs> You hate the scatter. I don't. Thing. I don't. Yeah. I yeah, just well, don't. Uh, yeah. But it's. But you know what I'm saying. I, and we've thought. Of, we've been pretty thoughtful about that. Just realize, you, in everyone, everything you share doesn't have to be, uh, you know, purpose driven. It doesn't have to be like the reason I'm sharing this is to gain attention. But you have to be aware that everything you share has that potential. I to also impact think your it depends on what your you want your image to be like and what your maybe even your work is like. Like if you have a very down to earth brand or very down to earth work and it's very personal in nature, then yeah. you can afford to mirror that. But if you really want to look neat and tidy and be seen as a professional and work in the, you you know, there might be little things that you do need to tighten up. I don't know. Yeah, I would like to think that you wouldn't have to, but... It might depend a little bit on that too. Yeah, it depends, and that depends on too whether you're branding uh, Fortune 500 companies mm -hmm. or whether you're making comics. That's like, what I mean. They're, yeah. they're you're, you know, they're very and, different. And I think your personality. If you're pers like, what do you do in real life? And you know, I think that it should mirror that too. Like, if you're someone that goes out there and it's all it's all out there, it's on your sleeve, then be be you. You yeah. know, if you're someone that that, you know, has to be a bit more put together to feel confident, then do, then do that. And, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I think that's totally true. And then I think beyond that, the other thing I've been trying to figure out is, you know, not treating my audience like they're my therapist. Mm -hmm. So, or my spouse, like realizing that there are certain things that I'm working through on a personal level that might feel temporarily uh, relief, like I might get temporary relief by shouting them from the rooftops to everybody, mm -hmm. but then I might get what Brené Brown calls the vulnerability hangover later. Be like, I really shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't yeah. have let people in. And that's where I think uh, when, when it comes to personal brand, rather than see it like a mask that you put on and you're like, this is who I am, but it's really a persona. It's not who you mm -hmm. are. Rather think about personal brand in terms of boundaries and where you set them. How much are, not not who are you going to pretend to be, but how much of your true self are you going to make public as part of your business? Uh, and that's something we've been, we have been really intentional. We've talked a lot about it. There's certain things that we're like, no, that's just for our family. We don't, nobody needs to know about that. You know, like our kids are mm -hmm. not part of our brand. Yeah. Or they're not part of mine. And I think uh, we did that really intentionally. We're like, that's just not something that we want to, to be public. Um, all right, next one.
Um, uh, th this person says, how to stick to something when you have ADHD? High from one ADHD nut to another. Uh, I think I'm above average for people with ADHD for sticking th at things now. But when I first started, I was I was just as bad as all ADD people at starting new projects and moving on. But it's still not a, a natural strength of mine. Uh, and I have a few things. One we kind of mentioned earlier where I'm talking about you know, in the middle of a marathon, it's not the time to decide whether you should be riding, running a marathon. Like when you're at the hard part and it's not fun anymore and, you know, you're, you're wheezing and you can't see the finish line, that's not the time to say, should I really be making this book? Mm -hmm. Should I really have, you know, started this personal project? Like I think you, there has to be some kind of, and one of the things I've found because I try to get people to do strategic personal work is that, you know, the first strategic side project you ever make probably just needs to be teaching yourself to stick to a commitment. So like the Nod project. I was, was just thinking about the Nod project. Yeah. The, <laughs> that's a, that was a great time and a dark time in many ways. But I think, I honestly think it would have been really tempting to quit 75% of the way through and we wouldn't have learned some of the things we learned from it. 100%. And I, and I get that like actually going th all the way through with that project was ri ridiculous at the end, but I I just felt like just do it, just yeah. ju just just get it done the way you planned, and then learn from it. If you quit when it gets to that tricky bit, you're not really gonna learn everything you need to learn from it. Yes, and and that because the Nod project, as most of you know, was a daily drawing project. I did a new character every weekday for a year. It's 260 characters, and then we also did a Kickstarter to screen print each one of them as little postcard prints. And hmm. that was the, yeah, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Well, yeah, because how many of each one did you screen print? Like 50. So you 50 do, times 260, you do the whatever math. 50 that 50 times is. 260, that's how many prints that Are in were our screen printed. <laughs> we didn't screen print them. No. So, we, so we, shout out to Matt Rust yeah, for that. We put that on somebody else, unfortunately. Uh, but... But I feel like, although Nod, like it brought in a lot of jobs that I didn't want. There were a lot of reasons why it wouldn't be the type, like like by the time I did the podcast, uh, there were so many layers of strategy on the podcast that I was super intentional about. But that was like four or five other projects after Nod. Whereas I feel like Nod, doing the daily drawing thing as a commitment to myself, mm -hmm. was just... an it was enough of a learning curve in the first place of how do you make a commitment to yourself and and do it in such a way where you trust yourself like that to me i do think there was some level of professionalism that was birthed in me after that where it's like i told i said i was going to do this and i didn't miss one day well i also think that that's a really good example of how you gave yourself accountability and you, i mean you definitely could have quit that project if nobody knew about it i think you would have quit yeah. it because you put it out there and you put it out there again with a Kickstarter, you owed it to people like to not mess Flake up. On it. Yeah. And I think accountability maybe is, is what we learned from that is that that helped you yeah. stay on track and that yeah. helped you finish. And maybe for some people, things like a Kickstarter would help them see something through professionally. And um, that's one thing about like the 100 day project. I mean, I know people yeah. don't always 
finish it, it but that's what helps them stick it out is by knowing that people some people are watching yes and some people are waiting for it and yeah and so uh the first yeah the first answer goes back to the similar answer before which is you know decide and plan and prep to go on this marathon before you before you're running it yeah so that you've committed to what am i doing how i'm doing it and decide up front like for me with the non-project i knew I could afford to do one and one hour drawing every day, like start to finish. My, those characters would take one hour from when I started to when I posted it. And I, and I knew I can find that based on my life circumstances. But one thing that people will do is they'll commit too early before having thoroughly decided and, and figured out. Like I did that, uh, my 100 day project two years ago, which was 100% jazzed, was the Instagram thing. Uh, when I said yes to that, I knew I was crazy for even starting it mm-hmm. and I couldn't finish it because I, I didn't have the bandwidth to do it. You know, it took two hours at least every post and I didn't have two hours. So you're saying that if you like, however you feel about it before you start is a really good idea of whether or not you can do it. Yes. And that's when you need to make the decision. Then, uh, there's two other things I'm going to talk about real quick is when I'm in the middle of a book project or I'm in the middle of a client project or, or a personal project, whatever it is, and I'm starting to feel like really panicked about sticking it through, mm-hmm. one of the things that I'll do is there's, there's a few tricks that I'll do. One is I'll get the main thing, the main thing. So I think, what does the, these images I'm making, what actually matters about them? Because what ends up happening as an artist, I get into the nitty gritty of the texture and, I, mm-hmm. and I'm getting off on the, oh, the way the hand, this hand looks and nobody cares. So you nobody, do the, the worst or the hardest bit first? Oh, well, I do that too. But what I mean is I think about, when, let's say I'm working on a book and we're working, I've got 10 illustrations to do for a book. I my nature as a creative is to go down tangents. What are you smiling about? I just can't look at you. It's too. Uh, I'm just <laughs> a, extremely aware of my own self. Uh, the uh, but when I'm I got ten I got ten illustrations to do, and if I'm left to my own devices. I will go down random tangents, different types of approaches to texture, and I'll get you know, I'll I'll work on the shading on one hand for like forty minutes, and I and if I take that route, I get burnt out on a big project like that, and so if I'm feeling that kind of uh, panic about finishing, I will reassess and I'll say, this is what Tim Ferriss says. He'll say, what would this look like if it were easy? So the same went for the podcast is like once I'm 20 episodes in and now I'm getting burdened by, I put all these rules on it. Like I have to record in this setting. It's got to be this long. It's got to be, you know, all of these things are, and then I'll say, what's the main thing? What actually matters? What's the minimal viable version of this? Mm -hmm. That's as good as the one that you tinker on for days and hours and hours. So you say, what what actually matters in these illustrations? What actually matters in this work that I'm producing? And then cut away everything else. Like let's say for the podcast, I was getting obsessive about the quality of the audio. And I realized actually there's a bunch of, if I, if I produce it right, there's a bunch of ways that I can make it a lot easier and uh, quicker and less of a burden without sacrificing what actually matters. And so sometimes when I'm in the middle of a project, I'll ask myself that question. What would this look like if it was easy to finish this? And then just hack away everything else and then focus on what actually matters and get to the finish line. 
So I feel like that is a you working to the max kind of answer, but say you had a little bit better of a work-life balance, uh-huh. do you think that an ideal way to work with ADHD would maybe be owning the ADHD and like allowing yourself to skip around a little bit? Or do you think that that, like, do you feel like you d- you want to do that and that you can do that? Or do you feel like that is what you have to avoid? I feel like, uh, I feel like. You know, like getting up and doing a little bit of this and then going yeah. for a run and then going home for lunch and then yeah, working I mean, a little bit, obviously. I do, I, yeah, I, I think uh, there's different layers to what you're saying. Um, right now I've learned, like we, I went to New York to film a class and we did basically the same thing from 9am to 6pm. Yeah. And I freaking, I, I loved the experience of doing that, but I would hate to work every day that way. Yeah. So I've so realized you, that you, I have to, You yeah. follow the ADHD rather than fight it. I learn, yeah, I learn my nature. So I know, yeah. uh, I, I work with that. So I know that my creative stuff I love doing that from literally 4 a.m. to not every day, obviously, but uh, my zone for making, putting in creative hours are 4 a.m. to noon. And I, I try to almost at all costs avoid doing creative work in the afternoon. I like to do uh, my emails or my brainstorming or the meetings or my calls or all kinds of other stuff. But I try, unless I'm under a tight deadline, I try to do all of my creative stuff before lunch. What's so funny? <laughs> You're so this. Just being like I can't serious. do this. Like, I, I feel like I'm tensing everything in my body because I'm trying not to like sneeze or make the chair creak or I'm, I'm super aware of my limbs. Like, it's really awkward. And you then I get in the zone. And I then can't. you're like, and then like I just, but if I get too, projection. but if I get too far in the zone, I'll Out say something. I'll say some. I'll say something and I'll think, why did I say that? That was stupid. Everything in your heart is pure and good. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, no. Trust it. Uh, but it's not interesting, though. It's beautiful. I need a fidget. Hang on. Um, yeah, get fidgety. And, uh, <clears throat> so, and then the other thing I was going to say, the front-loading thing is another thing I'll do. So if I have um, – I'm going to answer this in two other questions. One is – or two other ways. One is – I'll front load the hard stuff at the beginning so that it's downhill. So when it comes to... This is to, the theme what? for your episode, right? What? The front mullet. Load? Yeah. This is the mullet prefrontal, episode. Yeah. That's the Business illustration the right there. Uh, yeah, party in the back. The, and that idea of like... And I do it with food too. So I, because my... You know, there's it's a fact that your uh, your willpower diminishes throughout the day. So I'm on my best behavior food-wise at the start of the day... And knowing that as the day continues, I'm going to get worse at making choices. And so the same goes when I get on a plane. What I do is if I know what I want to do on this plane is play Zelda, then I'm not or, – or take a nap. I put – if we're on an eight-hour flight, I'm like, you're not allowed to do either of those for six hours or five hours. Which, again, is what you do to kids while you're like – Well, yeah. You can play Zelda after you have something to eat. And by the way, and hang that up your cup. is so, that's such a perfect analogy. One of the things you'll read in. So delight, delayed gratification. gratification. But yeah. what you have to realize is uh, in, in ADHD, this is not my illustration, but it's an example. One of the things that is a struggle for people with ADHD and also artists of most kinds, 
is their the their executive function doesn't work that well. It's, I think it's a left brain kind of thing, which is the parent in your brain. So the parent in your brain rarely wins. If if you're a feeler, if you're driven by your emotions and you feel like you have to do kind of what you feel like doing, you're the parent in your brain. I like the idea that you're a parent and a kid. Yes, to both your in the own same, self. Yeah. <laughs> and so you have to become. How do you become a better parent? How do you? And and for us, we've learned that it's mostly to do with creative creative ideas. So we couldn't get our kids to eat. Uh, new foods until we invented this thing called adventure points. <laughs> and so every time they try new food, they get one point. And if they eat the whole dish, they get two points. And once they get 20 points, they can choose a dinner that we're going to have. And it really works. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, we tried a bunch of other things that didn't work. But I think in that same way, you have to realize you're not one person. You're many people fighting each other mm-hmm. in your head. And you've got a grown up in there that knows you need to finish this stuff and stay on task. And you got a kid in there. And so I've learned like when I was working on a book and I was overwhelmed, I did the, there's eight spreads. I did the four hardest first. So by the time I'm in the middle, I'm like, it's all downhill from here, baby. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got to trick yourself. All right. Next question. We've only got two more questions. Are you, can you get through it? So the, just to put it in a nutshell. Yeah. That's, by the way, that is Sophie's relationship to me. <laughs> Putting me in a nutshell. Because I'm I'm outside. I'm cracked, baby. Because often you'll say something like all that, and I'm left thinking, huh? Like, <laughs> I understood it in the moment, yeah. but it's just washed over me with such fast that uh-huh. I'm forgotten. I need part of the nutshell. reason I wanted you on this episode and on the show sometimes is because sometimes I wish you were there to be like, by the way, no one knows what you're talking about. <laughs> Does in that, a nutshell. Can you just kind of, yeah, <laughs> maybe, wrap that up in a bow. Maybe you need to make a little audio clip of me saying, in a nutshell. In a nutshell. And then you do <laughs> that. should do that. Yeah, I like that. Um, but basically, in a nutshell, it's treat yourself. Right. right? Yes. Yeah. treat yourself, reward yourself. Like Figure out, yeah, figure out also what are incentives that work for you mm-hmm. because they're different for different people. Yeah. What are, what are the things that you don't want to do and what are the things that can be your incentives? And uh, Michael Hyatt says, slay your dragons before breakfast so they don't slay you. And it's not necessarily you have to do it before breakfast, but I do try to get some of those. And the other thing that happens is if I have a big creative task like this podcast, I'll put it on in the morning so that the once I'm done with it, I can be like, ah, okay, now everything else is icing on the cake. I did mm-hmm. the thing I had to do, and I'm happy, and I feel accomplished because of it. Yeah. All right. Two more questions. Do your collaborations always work out, and what makes a great collaboration? I like this question because <clears throat> I believe that and I'm, we're going to do more and more and more on the podcast. I'm actively building systems and, and projects around the idea of mass collaboration, lots of collaboration in, in the next season of my career. A, I, is because I feel like I felt like Lego Batman who's trying to do everything by himself. So that's one thing, and I don't like it. And the people, the times I work with Connor on videos, and I'm like, when I work with somebody that has so much thing, so many things that I don't have, what the possibilities are so much greater. And I love contributing my little thing to something and then stepping away and being like, whoa, I can't believe this is what we made when I'm doing something with, 
with someone who has skills and talents that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's one reason I'm upping the collaborative aspect of our business in the next year. The other reason is um, I try to stay in tune with marketing and how and what's working, what's, what's effective so I can double down on those things and kind of ignore the rest. And the truth is right now, the only marketing that's really working like wildfire is influencer marketing, which is just, uh, Gary Vee calls it word of mouth at scale. It's like the people that, these, these influencers have thousands of people that trust them if they do it right. And if they co-sign what you do, uh, if they co-sign what you do, then all of a sudden you got a bunch of new people that trust you. And so I keep, I talked about this on my, uh, class that I just did, but I'm going to be talking about it more and more is that I don't think it's a coincidence that Ed Sheeran is the number one listened musician on Spotify right now after he dropped his massive collaborative album. And I think that, so the reason why I wanted to include this question is I think collaborations are huge. I think when we started back in 2008, uh, collaboration on the internet happened a lot more often. So I was collaborating with lots of friends all the time everybody kind of started to freak out about that and got really territorial and people started getting really funny about it. And, and I think we're going to synthesize into a new season where, um, collaborations are healthier, but they also have, you have to be more intentional about what is a collaboration. So I think one of the things that was happening early on that spooked everybody is a lot of people were calling it a collaboration when it was really something they were actually, they should have been paying for because it was a contractual, it was more like hiring a contractor to work mm -hmm. on your project. So my first thing about a good collaboration is it should probably be something, um, well, first of all, the value should be mutual. One person shouldn't be getting more than the other person out of it. And it should probably, the inception of it should probably be uh, together. It should be something where you and someone else or you and a group of people start a new thing together that's its own entity that and and that kind of sets up things to be equal value um does that make sense yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but because um and the other thing i'll say real quick maybe you also need to kind of assess why why are you doing this that's what yeah that's what i was gonna say like like you know what does this bring to each of you as individuals in that yes so don't shy away from before it gets started you need to be I don't feel like you should do a collaboration with someone you don't feel comfortable enough about being upfront about intentions so people like my friend Andrew Nyer people like uh, Connor people like Ryan these people in my life that I'm gonna do a collaboration with uh, I can only do those with people who I feel totally comfortable being like, here's why I'm doing this. Here's why, here's why I want to do this. And then say, why do you want to do it? Yeah. And we'll probably have different reasons. And that's the only real good reason to do collaborations is if you're bringing different things to the table. Mm -hmm. um, I think you have to feel like you have to know the person well enough to be able to trust their intentions and trust that they're going to put into it what you do and that too. Like, yeah. I, you know, I think that's a factor. You've collaborated really well with people that you have known and trusted. Yes. Um, but you do, yeah, you need to make sure that your why lines up somewhat. 
or it's at least compatible. Yeah. Uh, I know you're going to, I know what answer you're going to give to this. Okay. Uh, what have we learned to run the other way from in terms of collaborations? Ego. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to say it. Yeah. What do we, I mean, we, we have a pretty intense, uh, ego radar when it comes to collaborations. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously you need to check your own ego when you're considering a collaboration, but if you start trying to collaborate with someone and they just, you get a feeling like they're going to try and steamroll it or make it all about them, um, or, or refuse to compromise on their side to make the collaboration work, then that's a pretty big red flag that it's not, it's not compatible. Um, I think it comes down to, I think it's ego almost has to do with whether they view, there's kind of three mindsets that go in hand in hand with people like that, that we kind of tend to run away from in terms of collaboration. And I think it comes from, uh, ego is about separate from the pack. You're, you're yeah. above it. You're and so it's either you're protective. Yes. You know, you're, you're, yeah. you're, con- you're protecting yourself above yeah. all everything yeah. where you have to be kind of vulnerable to collaborate. You have to allow yourself to be a, vulnerable to that other person having a little bit of an in on what you're doing. And there has to be, you know, I like to think about it in terms of science. Like it has to be in order for, is this the doctor side? <laughs> you mean Dr. <laughs> you Pizza? You keep bringing it to, you keep doing some kind of scientific analysis for the questions. Is this the doctor? This is the doctor okay. side. Uh, but th- this idea, it real collaboration has to be an emergence of a new thing. It has to be two subatomic things come together to create an atom. So whenever, if there's this separation in this ego to it of like, well, that's my side or I need my, you know, it's every, you never really merge into a proper thing, a collaborative space. And when, uh, and so what happened, the mindset that I see in people that I think these are not fit for a collaboration are people that see um, everything is competitive and not cooperative. Yeah. People that see uh, scarcity, not abundance. So they're very, uh, they're very aware of. Well, I'm not getting that much. How much are you getting? Yeah. Or they that they don't believe in win-win. They only believe in win-lose. So they only believe someone in this collaboration is going to get less and lose, and some of them are going to win. And I yeah. want to be coming out the other side being the one who was like, yeah, I got the most from that. Like I outsmarted them, right? And I think those, all of those mindsets are things to look out for in a checklist of, you can't really do a proper collaboration with somebody who won't allow themselves to dissolve into the collaboration. Um, and, and the thing is the people that will know what's good about a collaboration, which is I've learned, whether it was the wizard's hat or color me or uh, all the other ones, all the other collaborations we've did over the years, you realize that what's great about it isn't that it's like, um, sp- I'm just going to say it, Spice Girls. Hmm? When two become one. Oh. I know it got weird about it. But <laughs> it's not that kind of collaboration. Hey, you want to get collaborative? <laughs> you, can't, you can't say that to me right now. Oh my they gosh. Know. Um, I love it. Uh, I want to keep going just to make you uncomfortable, but I won't. But it's not when a collaboration is not two become one, it's when two become three. Because what happens is, <laughs> still, that's just getting pregnant. <laughs> that 
is this the is ultimate collaboration, good right? Co- yeah, dang right. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> you need to stop. But no, but I can't. Hold on. I'm going with it because uh, the thing, a great collaboration, one of the best reasons to do it is because after you guys, after we make this zine together, we make this company together, whatever it is, there's this magnetism that happens. I know you're laughing about <laughs> magnetism, I'm but there's not. this, la- there's this thing about now three. there's this person and then there's me and then there's the entity that we created together which is the, the collaborative baby. Wait, wait. Doesn't Ed Sheeran have a line in one of his new songs about magnets? Does he? <laughs> like, what is it? Oh, it uh, we can almost bring it full circle, but I can't remember the lyrics. All right. I'm, I'm going to be the producer of this episode. Uh, we don't, we're, not, we don't, we're not big enough to have like a fancy producer sat next to us because this is what like, you know, Joe Rogan or, or uh, um, Amanda Sales will just be like, hey. Betsy, can you look that up? <laughs> None of them are called Betsy, um, but uh, I'll just look it up. I don't know if it matters actually. I don't know if it means anything. Is it in the shape of you? Yeah, there's a magnet in this one. Everybody's magnets. Like, everybody's like, we don't. I'm in care. love with the shape of you. We push and pull like a magnet do. See. Okay, uh, and my point was with <laughs> that was just that the gr- a great collaboration all of a sudden now instead of two magnetic fields you have three you have this whole other thing like color me has a life of its own mm-hmm. beyond my work beyond Andrew's work and it kind of does its own thing and grows and, and it has this whole uh, it's all it's the same as having a I've seen people have a uh, like an alias or like a pen name like they they get totally different. They get a fresh start. It's hard to like maybe get the ball rolling, but when when you have a pen name or you have a new entity, uh, it, it has a whole new life of its own where people interact with it for the first time in a fresh way. You saw like J.K. Rowling did her, when she did her pen name book, nobody graded it like versus Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And it's similar when you really create a collaboration this third entity happens. But if someone's ego first, it can never really happen. You pretty much spoil yeah. the point of doing it from the start. So that's, that is the number one thing. We've had some collaborations go sour, so we had to learn the hard way. Uh, last question. You're still alive. <clears throat> You're still feeling good. Uh, <laughs> What's the last question? <laughs> How did you come to your style and medium? I'm so scattered. Scattered? Is that what the what got you feeling yeah. weird? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I'm so scattered, and I love doing everything. Yeah. I, this is yeah. This is a. I feel like this is a really common thing, like wanting to do everything. Yes. Fear of missing out. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I think um, I, I the the first answer I have is one thing I highly recommend not doing is a lot of people think having a style is about making a choice and a commitment, like choosing a style. I don't think you choose a style. And I think uh, Epictetus, the philosopher, one of my favorite quotes of all time, which any regular podcast listener will know, is you can't learn what you think you already know. 
And so one of the things that I see young illustrators or musicians or whatever do is instead of like being messy and exploring for a long time and just kind of letting the voice emerge, and they're like, this is me, this is who I am, yeah. this is my style, and they, they think they already know it, so then they never have the ability to actually learn it I also because they think, think they already have it. That, that really, you know I mean? yeah, but like really interesting things happen when you allow yourself to be mixed media. I yeah. feel like everybody should be mixed media for the first so many years. Yes. Like you should be combining all of the things that you like all together all the time. And the things that you realize are not fitting or not your strengths, they'll fall away. Yeah. And you'll be left with a really interesting combination. But you don't have to be like, I'm a watercolor artist. 100%. You can be like, you can do, have like a bunch of little bits, you know, like layer it up, like do, do all of it and... And see then, what happens and let it kind of evolve and take shape over time now a lot most of my style and the things that i think of as the most unique things about my style are things that i didn't ever think about or decide they just happened over time yeah and then the other thing is uh i think of this idea of form follows function so tim goodman says when you're trying to find your voice. The dog is hinting that the, she's drank all of her water. She's knocking the bowl around saying, excuse <clears> me, <throat> there's no water in here. Uh, but Tim Goodman says, instead of thinking about how uh, you're going to say something, which is your style, think about what you're going to say. What are you going to say? And then I added the form, how you're going to do it, is going to follow the function of what you're saying. And for the podcast over time, there's a bunch of things where I realized the things I want to say, this style isn't the right way of saying them. They're not, and yeah. so it kind of evolved over time of, oh, I want to say something really heartfelt. I want to say something that is conceptual and things that are too decorative and over the top get in the way of what I'm trying to say. And so things just started to naturally fall away. Things got simpler. Things got more hands-on because I wanted it to feel authentic. And so I think what, what you need to do is start with always try to go back to your uh, why. Your why am I making this? What do I, if I'm trying to say this, it's just like how, how should I say it? You want it to match. The yeah. why and the how should match. And I think you should always let the why uh, rise above the how it should always, and, and and so and I'll take it one step further. Is one of the things I think about all the time in terms of in terms of making art is the golden rule, which is do unto others as you want done to you. So like for me, that's my true north. Is what do I? I I keep thinking about it like re refilling uh, sodas, re being a wait being a waiter, refilling people's cups. It's not like I'm doing some. Uh, thing that nobody's out there doing, but what I mainly want to provide is like, uh, you know, everybody needs hope every day and they need art that helps them say yes to life. And that cup gets empty really quick. Like after you watch that movie, three days later, you're not feeling that yes anymore. You're not feeling excited and hopeful. And I just feel like I'm, my purpose in life is just to be the person that refills that every week with the podcast, but also with my art and the stories I tell. And I just think, uh, and so if I can get in touch with, what am I just trying to be an agent of refilling and being of service to people? And then my how, my style, is always gonna be in service of that. And so I think getting too obsessed with style 
too obsessed with how you're going to do something is actually and should be kind of an afterthought compared to why am I doing this? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, w- <clears throat> I think also maybe there's another element that you can allow yourself to have, which is like comfort and personality. Like mm-hmm. there's certain medias like I have infinite capacity for doing, which makes me just think maybe that's what I should be doing because I never get tired of 100%. it and I never get frustrated yeah. of it. Or maybe it's that like, like sewing. Yeah. You sewed your whole life and you still love doing it. You can just do it for hours and hours and hours. You never think it's mindlessly enjoyable. Yeah. So you got and a it, tolerance for and it. And like for you, um, you know, like uh, this is an example. I don't want to actually say this as you because I don't know if it is. But maybe if you're super messy, you need some kind of medium that allows you to be able to correct yourself. Yes. It should be a good fit for your nature. That's another reason why I started to introduce analog stuff in is because I am sloppy. Mm-hmm. I'm messy. And a lot of the digital work I was doing was so clean and tight, it felt inauthentic to me. Yeah. Because I felt like that's not, I need, and, and everything, every happy accident. Uh, my dad's home with our kid. Uh, and the dogs are barking. I anyway, think we have to I think stop. that's it. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Okay. Was it okay? Uh, are you alive? I don't know. It's good. I'm pushing ship now. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right, that was Sophie on the show. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Thanks to Chris Graham, Chris Graham Mastering for audio production assistance. And thanks to all of you for remaining peppy. Thanks for staying, thanks for checking out the show. And next week we're gonna talk about personalities. And I'm really pumped. I've been playing this episode for a long time. Okay, till we speak again. 